Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. So I'm so stoked by this uh, sermon series that we are studying tonight on healthy living. And this sermon series basically is uh, challenging us to go straight to the heart. We're going straight to the heart, guarding the wellspring of life, which is the heart. You know, I know that uh, for some of us, we're thinking, man, why would you start a sermon series of this nature talking about the emotional God? I know some of us, we're thinking, how can you even say God is emotional? How can you even say that God has emotions? No, so let's go there. Let's go there. Let me ask you a few questions that will help you to grapple with these tough questions that I have been grappling with with the preaching team here. So help me here. Does God have feelings? Oh, that's an easy one. I can see that um, most of you are saying yes, and some of you are still thinking about it. The second question is, does God have emotions? Okay, 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 okay. We get in there, we get in there, we get in there. The third one is a tricky question. Does God have mood swings? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah. I had occasional. In the morning services, we had sometimes, you know. And we, I'm hoping that as we share the word tonight, you'll be able to answer that question for yourself. And I'm hoping that you'll come for the next five weeks so that you can be able to get to know whether God has emotions, feelings, or mood swings. We'll see about that. So the objective of the sermon series is this. In order to live healthy spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and physically, we need to start by acknowledging that emotions are from God. God himself has emotions. God himself has feelings. And God can handle our emotions because he gave us those emotions. So when we are angry, when we cry, when we throw our toys in a righteous way, I hope God can handle those emotions. God can handle those emotions. You know, those are the two things I hope you can take out of this sermon tonight, is that God created emotions, and God can handle our emotions. God is not afraid of our emotions. In fact, God is close to the brokenhearted and those with a contrite spirit. We need to deconstruct the negativity and meaning around the word emotional as being weak. We need to deconstruct this negativity that when we say someone is emotional, we say that person is not strong or that person is loose or lack of control. What does it mean that God has emotions, discovering that God himself created those emotions? So he is an emotional God, and if he's an emotional God, therefore we are also emotional beings. Let's deconstruct this thing of suppressing our emotions. And I want to start by saying tonight, permission granted, not by me, but by the Father. Let's open Psalm chapter 7. We are going to be talking about 
these feelings that God has. When you read scripture, you see God has anger. God has emotions of, uh, of pain. God has emotions of jealousy, hatred. And I know you're like, man, is that in the Bible? It's all in the Bible. We may not be able to go through all of them. We're going to look at uh, four of them tonight, and I'm hoping that you'll walk out of here knowing that permission is granted to be emotional. Nothing wrong with being emotional. And if I cry, and if I show my emotions tonight, it's because my daughter said to me, Dad, you know that the, most, the strongest people are the people who show their emotions in front of others. And I was set free right there and there. When you read Psalm chapter 7, we hear of David speaking about God's anger. The psalmist speaking about God's anger. And I'm going to read from verse 6. But to give you the background of the psalm, it is so interesting that David is pursued by his enemies and when he's pursued by his enemies and he realizes that, man, there's a possibility that I might die tonight, he prays a dangerous prayer. Um, I'm, I'm skipping those verses on purpose so you can go and read them by yourself because it's a prayer I don't want to pray. David prays and he says, God, if I have done anything wrong and I'm in the wrong, let my enemies catch up with me and let my enemies destroy me and kill me. I'm like, dude. I am not about to pray that prayer. You can pray that prayer by yourself. But when you read the psalm going further, you realize the reason why David had the audacity to pray a prayer like that, it was because he knew that he'd been walking uprighteous before the Lord. He's been walking upright before God, and he could say, God, judge me according to my integrity. Let's read from verse 6. It says, Arise, O Lord, in your anger, lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me, you have appointed a judgment. It's amazing. He says, Awake for me, you have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge. And a God who feels indignation every single day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, when we look at a scripture like this, we ask ourselves, what was in the mind of the psalmist when he said, Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Right there, anger is in the Bible. It says that God can be angry. The psalmist knew, when you read Psalm 18, he describes the kind of anger and the fury of God. Go and read it. It will blow you away, the kind of anger that God can show if it ever was needed. 
And he says, lift up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. I like the fact that he says, arise and awake. He's simply saying, God, I know the Bible says you never sleep nor slumber. But the situation that I'm in right now, God, you can never take a nap. God, please arise, awake. I'm in such a terrible situation. I need to see your anger against my enemies. God has got emotions. And we read here, the psalmist says, arise, awake in your anger. It says, judge me, O Lord, according to the righteousness, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. As we continue to read, you'll see how uh, anger is actually directed to people who do not walk upright with God. Anger is directed to people who live an unrighteous life. It says, my shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, a God who feels indignation every day. You know, when I read this verse, it actually helped answer one of the questions I always ask myself. I ask myself, what does God in heaven say when he reads the news of what is happening in South Africa? Not that he reads the news, he knows even before it happens all the things that are happening in South Africa. I mean, this last week, we just got the states of crime and Gender-based violence. I mean, every time I read those, my heart just grieves for the state of our nation. And when I read this, it says God sees and feels indignation every day. God sees what is happening in our world on a daily basis. And this is the way I put it. I put it this way. You know, if I was God, so many people would be dead, including myself. I mean, like all the things that are happening, man, I would be sitting there as, as God. I would like, die, 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 die. God's righteous anger is directed towards unrighteousness. If a man does not repent, ladies, in case you think you're excluded, men in Hebrew is men, women together. If man or woman does not repent, God will wet his sword. And I want to pause here for a little bit. What does it mean when it says, the Bible says, if we don't repent, if we don't live in a righteous and upright life before God, the Bible says God will wet his sword. So I've been waiting for a moment like this when I can bring my sword to church. I've been waiting for this moment. I have been waiting and waiting. And when I saw a sword in the Bible, in some, I'm like, today I'm bringing my sword. This sword is so special to me. I keep it in my study to remind me of the wrath of God. It's engraved with my name on it. It was a gift. It's written here, having done all to stand, stand therefore. There's so much history on the sword. But when the Bible says God will wet his sword, that word wet is the same as uh, sharpening. Because they use a wet stone to sharpen the sword. So God is saying, if you don't repent, if you don't walk away from your unrighteousness, he's going to sharpen his sword. 
But when I read the Bible, I know that most of us are grappling now with the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. I run very quickly to the New Testament. In Hebrews 4 verse 12, the Bible says, the word of the Lord is like a two-edged sword. The Bible says it cuts through bone and marrow soul and spirit descending the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The Word of God is able to transform us. The Word of God is able to change us. The Word of God is like a sword that will save us from the fury of God. So it's your choice. Are you going to allow the Word of God to become the sword that will change you, that will shape you? Or are you going to say, God, go ahead and wet your sword so that your fury can come upon me? It's your choice. I mean, if you continue to read, it says, He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons making his arrows like fiery shafts. So God is saying, it's either you're going to let my word to shape you or the fury of God is coming. The fury of God is coming. And I know that most of us, we've had so many sermons about the grace of God. We don't want a sermon about the wrath of God. It's in the Bible. I'm just teaching what's in the word. Look at what the word says. I like what this uh, uh, scholar at Jared says about, you know, the, the, the righteous anger of God and the stubborn love of God. The God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament is one. It's one and the same God. Some people say, no, I want the God of the New Testament, the God of grace. I don't want the God of the Old Testament. But listen to this. He says, is a, a wrathful God at odds with a loving God. If you understand wrathful as vengeful, then it might be hard to reconcile the two attributes of God. But if the wrath of God is simply His righteous judgment against sinful humanity, then there is really no conflict between the two. All of humanity is deserving of punishment, and a righteous God would correctly give us what we have earned. But God is also love, and He has provided a way of redemption, faith in the atoning blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. What it means is it helps us to understand that a righteous God, a God who judges with righteousness, is the same God who has stubborn love, a love that will atone us from the torrents of death that comes through sin. The atoning blood of Jesus Christ. That is why we, re we were having a communion tonight. I like how Neo says, remember, remember what he has done at the cross. Uh, New Testament, Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God, the wrath of God in the New Testament is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. As I said, the wrath of God is directed towards ungodliness. And unrighteousness of men who by their own unrighteousness suppress the truth. Romans 5, 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Right there at the cross, the righteousness of God, the wrath of God, we're all satisfied.
So if God can be angry and show His anger, we also can be angry and show our anger in a righteous way. Permission granted. So I want to talk a little bit about the difference between righteous anger and unrighteous anger. Because it's important for us to realize that, you know, we're not going to walk out of here and say, well, Pastor Sai gave us permission to be angry now. Now we're going to just throw our toys for real now. When you are angry, the Bible helps us to understand that it says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. When it says do not give the devil a foothold, when the door is slightly open and the enemy puts his uh, foot right there, guess what? He's not a gentleman. He's going to take over the whole house. Do not give him a foothold. So righteous anger, it's anger that's directed towards injustice and it brings change to systems and to people. So righteous anger is you see that something is wrong and you do something about it. You speak against it. I need to explain this, that righteous anger, it's not cancel culture. We start to see cancel culture even in the church today. Someone has done something wrong, we cancel them. Righteous anger is we correct the person, we don't cancel the person. That is righteous anger. We cannot say now we are angry at something that the person has done and we're going to cancel them. We correct them. We don't cancel them. That is righteous anger. Unrighteous anger, it's anger that you feel and it causes harm to other people. A righteous, unrighteous anger, it's anger that's not bringing transformation to you or the perpetrators, but it's anger that ends up causing hurt to other people. Let me give you the examples of both so that you can see where I'm going with this. Some of you know that I sit on boards of some companies and NGOs. And as I said in the morning, uh, Rex, they haven't invited me at ESCOM, so hopefully they will. <laughs> or oh, SAA, you know. And uh, I've noticed that there are moments when you need to speak the truth, and the Bible says speak the truth in love. I've noticed that there are moments when the, the enemy can actually cause fear that you end up not speaking up when you need to speak up. And I've also noticed that when I don't speak up, I actually don't sleep well at night. So for me to sleep well at night, I've resolved I'm going to speak up versus, you know, sometimes, some of you will be honest, you know, you, you replay the meeting in your mind at night. You're like, man, I should have said that. I should have said that. Why don't you just say it in the meeting? If you remember it after a meeting, pick up a call and phone the person. Phone them. Deal with it right there and there. A couple of years ago, I was in a board meeting and I... We were discussing something that I felt like, man, this is so unjust. And some of you might have even gone through this. You know, this a manager had moved on and someone else was acting. And they were acting for months and they never got the promotion nor the salary increase. But they were doing the job. 
And then I just spoke up. I said, no, this is wrong. We need to fix this. But not only this, we need to go to the root of the matter. The committee that's making this decision needs to change as well. So there are times when we need to have that righteous anger and speak the truth in love. I can tell you so many stories of when I have not spoken up and it just eats on me. But the more I speak up, the more I see change happen. And I want to encourage you to do the same. Remember, permission is granted. Unrighteous anger is when you are angry at something, but your anger is directed in the wrong way. So the best way to describe it is um, one time I came home and I was bothered by something at work and I don't know what had happened and uh, I was very tired and one of my daughters did something wrong and the way I responded, I was so harsh that she started crying. And I just realized at that moment that actually whatever I'm carrying, the baggage that I'm carrying, carrying, I'm actually taking out the anger in the wrong way to someone who is not deserving of that anger. But I like how they responded. They went to my wife and they said, Mom, I think Dad needs to take a nap. (laughs) Dad is tired. We're talking about healthy living. If you suppress the emotions and you don't deal with them properly and appropriately, you're going to end up taking them out on other people in a wrong way and hurt other people. Sadly, our families take the brunt of it. Someone advised me, I think it was good advice, if you have certain things that you're carrying, uh, find a mentor, find someone that you can process things with so you don't have to process them all the time at home or take it out in a wrong way. Do not suppress your emotions. Permission granted. Permission granted. Another emotion that I see that a lot of people struggle with is uh, grief. By the way, God also grieves. Let's read um, Genesis chapter 6. And the context again is because of wickedness, because of unrighteousness, God grieves. The Lord saw that wickedness of men was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was evil. I mean, look at that. The Bible says every intention of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. Like you see the problems we have in the world today. It's because of this wickedness, unrighteousness, the thoughts and intents of every heart is continuously evil. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. God has a heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. For I'm sorry that I made man, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I like that last part because it simply says, you know, our nation can be saved. The world can be saved by righteous men and women like you and I. When we choose to say, God, we will stand in the gap for what is happening in our nation. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, will seek my face and repent from their evil ways, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll come and I'll heal the land. 
It is so interesting that we see the context of grief. It's not just grieving what you have lost, but it's also grieving the condition and the state of the nation. Listen to the Psalm 78, verse 40. The Bible says, How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Because of their rebellion, God grieved. God's grief is based on the fact that people are constantly moving away from what he has called us to be. This week at the revival prayer, we were praying against corruption in our nation, and I was grieved. I was grieved in my soul because I realized that this nation actually has resources, has finances, but because of corruption, we see the poverty that we see in this nation. And it grieves my heart. Talking about grief, I believe also that one of the ways we can glorify God is how we grieve in the time of loss. When we have lost loved ones, we can actually glorify God with our grief. Just yesterday, we attended a funeral that was so, so sad for a guy in the church, 26 years old, passed away last week Sunday because of an epileptic seizure. It was so sad because they've only been married with this lady for 18 months and she's pregnant. It was so sad when we spent time with Tandeka on uh, Monday when Lindy and I were with her. I was so blown away by how she was mourning. She was crying, she was weeping, she was in touch with her emotions, but at the same time, she said, I still believe that God is good. I was blown away by how she was grappling with the sovereignty of God. That is so difficult to understand at that moment, why would this happen? I was blown away to see her hold the tension of the pain of loss and the goodness of God. And I realized that at that moment, she's glorifying God with the way that she's grieving and mourning. Because we do not grieve like those who do not have hope. We grieve like those who have hope because we know we're going to see our brother Tato again in heaven. We will be with him. As difficult and painful as it has been. I could see this woman just glorifying God even in the way that she's mourning. I mean, Josephine, you were there at the funeral yesterday. I mean, the strength of character she's carrying, I cannot comprehend. The only way we can do that is because we understand Romans 8, 38. The Bible says, nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Neither death, nor life, nor angels. Nothing shall separate us. So it's okay to show emotions, to be in touch with our grief, with our mourning, with sadness, with sorrow. But may we glorify God. May we glorify God. Finally, love and compassion. Some scriptures that we're very familiar with. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. I like the fact the Bible says he's slow to anger. He is slow to anger and rich in love. One that we know very well, John 3, 16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So as I was preparing the sermon this week and uh, 
as I was still grappling with uh, anger, with grief, with love and compassion, my son came up to me. My son who's a teenager, he's here tonight. You know, I love teenagers because they ask very tough questions. Very, very tough questions. You know, when I get stuck, I send them to Greg as a prophet. He hears directly from God. Sometimes I call Jonathan, who's a kids' church pastor. He's been through it all. You know, like, man, some of the questions they ask are really difficult. Questions I've never thought about. He asked me this question. He's been going through the book of Exodus. He's going through the Bible on his own volition. He's going through the Bible and he gets to Exodus and he sees the plagues and all that's happening in the book of Exodus. And he came to me and he says, Dad, can God sin? Does God sin? I'm like, I've never had that question before. And I thought to myself, you know, before I become the pastor and start answering, let me first understand the context of why he's asking this question. I asked him why. You know, you couldn't just come with this question. And he says to me, I see all these plagues. I see all these people dying. And I'm thinking, if God is killing people, that's sin. (laughs) According to him, you did say that. You taught me that when someone kills, that is sin. So is God sinning? And then I thought about it for a moment, and I thought, wow, that's a tough question. And then as I was thinking about it, I was also thinking, boy, you are actually grappling with the Old Testament God and the New Testament God. And we've had this conversation before about the Old Testament God and the New Testament God, and I also thought to myself, if he is in the book of Exodus and is already worried about people dying, I'm like, yo, we still have a long way to go. We still have judges. We still have many other deaths that are coming. I'm like, yo, 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 yo. This Old Testament God thing is quite serious. And we were just talking and talking, and and I I, I just realized that the best way to describe this is uh, helping him to understand that the, the same Old Testament God is the New Testament God. In the Old Testament, when they would sin against God, when they would move away, when they would not obey God, His righteous anger, His wrath, His fury will come upon them. But then the Bible in Isaiah says, in preparation for the coming of Jesus, that on the cross, the fury, the wrath of God was satisfied. The wrath of God was satisfied. So the coming of Jesus was to take care of all our sins. The Bible says that it pleased God to crush him on the cross. It's tough. It's tough to even make sense of that statement. But God says in Isaiah that he took all our infirmities, he took all our sins, crucified them on the cross. So it helped me to go to my son with Revelation chapter 15 verse 1 where it says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues. So now, we plagues in Exodus, and now, fast forward, at the end of the age, the seven plagues, which are the last plagues, for with them the wrath of God is finished. 
So at the cross, the wrath of God was taken care of, but that same wrath of God that's taken care of at the cross was in preparation for what is yet to come, that those who belong to Christ, those who choose to believe in Christ and live for Christ, they would understand that the wrath of God is taken care of, and we don't have to experience the fury of God. And I also took my son to the book of John that this word's finished. We see them again on the cross. Tetelestai. It is finished. It is finished. So I'm here to announce to us tonight that the same God who's got righteous anger is the same God who's got stubborn love. He doesn't give up on any of us. He doesn't give up on any of us. He wants to save us, to pull it all together. As we get in touch with our emotions, whether it's anger, whether it's grief, whether it's showing love and compassion the same way that love and compassion was shown to us, it gives us a good definition of the gospel. Dr. Rice Brooks, who's one of the founders of Every Nation, he's helped us with a simple definition of the gospel. Feel free to take a picture of this. The gospel is the good news that God, God became man in Jesus Christ. Unlike other religions, this Christian religion, God came down for us. God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived a life we should have lived and died the death we should have died in our place. He took our place. We should have been the ones to be punished. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he's the Son of God and offering the gift of salvation to those who repent, those who repent by this word, not waiting for his fury, and those who believe in him. So the cross, in essence, is God's righteousness, God's love, God's wrath, God's compassion, Everything there on the cross. Let us stand to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you understanding that life can be difficult. We face situations that requires us to have a righteous anger, to speak up and not to be silent. Father, I pray that you'll give us the courage and the boldness when we have that righteous anger bubbling and boiling inside of us to speak the truth in love, Father God, and not to be silent, Father. Father, I also pray that as we journey alongside with you, Father God, that we will allow this word to shape us, to mold us, Father God, so we don't get to a place where we experience your fury, Lord God. May this word cut through soul and spirit, bone and marrow, and judge our thoughts and intents, Father God, so we can glorify you even with our emotions.